and we'll begin reading from verse 24 of John chapter 20. John chapter 20, and we're reading from the verse number 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord, but he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless but believing and Thomas answered and said unto him my Lord and my God Jesus saith unto him Thomas because thou hast seen me thou hast believed blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Amen. We know that God will add his own blessing to the reading of his inspired and infallible word. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We pray you would write it upon our hearts. Help us to hear your voice today. And give us an ear for your word. Father, I pray the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, would be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. And amen. Today we're going to look at Thomas. Because here we have the fifth view of the resurrected Christ. And we have been looking at the Lord Jesus in the 40 days between his resurrection and ascension. The first person that saw him on the first day that he rose again was Mary Magdalene. And that appearance to Mary was quickly followed by another appearance to the woman. And Matthew particularly records that in Matthew chapter 28. And then there was the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And as they were traveling from Jerusalem to Emmaus, talking about the things that had taken place. Well, we don't know who these people two people were but the Lord came and walked alongside them and they saw the Lord and then he came to the disciples and the last time we looked at this we thought about the appearance to the disciples in John's gospel chapter 20 from verse 19 and it's a really thrilling episode because there the disciples are and they are afraid. They're terrified. They think the Jews are coming after them. All these stories have been circulating that Jesus Christ is not in the tomb and they would be accused perhaps of stealing the body and there's much hatred uh, not only against Jesus but against his followers and they're in terror and they're locking the doors and then suddenly Christ appears in the midst and brings peace 
and he gives them a word of peace, peace be unto you. And those are great words at the end of verse 20. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. And gentlemen, there is gladness. The day you were saved, you were glad. What a thrilling thing it is when the Lord comes. And the Lord came to the disciples at this dark time, and they were glad. But there was one person that was not glad. There was one person that was not happy. And that was Thomas. He wasn't happy. And he he was excluded from the blessings that these other disciples had received. And so his moment of blessing was yet to come. And so the Lord has appeared four times, but he would come a fifth time. And he would come particularly for this man, whom we know as Doubting Thomas. It's terrible how we love to characterize people, isn't it? And man does this all the time. We pick out one aspect of a person's life, and that aspect of that person's life dominates their whole life. And so Thomas, because of this period of doubting, becomes known as Doubting Thomas. And yet the man was an apostle. He went on to do a great work for God. He went on to serve the Lord. And we don't know fully where he served the Lord, but he was one of the men who was given the task of building up the New Testament church. And yet all we can say of Thomas is he is Doubting Thomas. But this man, Doubting Thomas, as he is known, would express perhaps the greatest confession of Christ that we read anywhere in the New Testament. He certainly rose above his doubts. Because in verse 28 he said, My Lord and my God. Perhaps the greatest confession of Christ of anyone in the New Testament. This is Thomas, my Lord and my God, the fifth view of the resurrected Christ. So let's just look at this passage and see what practical lessons we can discover as we look again at this man, Thomas, a character whom we are familiar with, and yet we are not familiar because not so much is really said of Thomas in the New Testament. But from the little that we can glean, let us see what we can learn from this individual. Let's think about his absence. Because verse 24 says, But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. He wasn't there. And it seems that the other disciples had been gathering themselves together. They had been discovering strength through partnership We know, for example, that Peter and John were together. And they were in the same home as Mary, the mother of the Lord. And then these other disciples, they were together. And later on that evening, the ten of them were all in the one place. And of course, Judas was not there, but neither was Thomas. And Thomas had absented himself. And I would suggest to you that the reason why Thomas was so full of doubts was because he wasn't with the people of God when he should have been with the people of God. He went into a kind of an isolation. And whenever we isolate ourselves from our brothers and sisters in Christ, we're on the wrong track. And it's so important that we keep close bonds with those that are of like precious faith. God 
has called us to worship him together and serve him together as a church. And what is a church? A church is a company of God's people who are brought together for the express purpose of serving him. And we are individuals. And in many ways, we are not alike. And in many ways, we have different characteristics and we have different likes and dislikes. And that's part of being in a family, but it's also part of being in the family of God. And God wants us to work, to serve him together, to learn from each other, to grow together. At times he calls us to weep together as well as laugh together. But he does this in order that we might be built up in our faith and there is strength there. And that's why it is so important for us to be at the place of public worship. I know that before this pandemic, I would look down at this church and I would see many pews that are filled. And now we look down at the church and it's because of the pandemic, it's almost a badge of honor just to have some empty pews. And, and that's just the way it has to be because we want to do things right. We want to keep things proper and we need to distance. Uh, but you know, we're so looking forward to the time. And I am looking forward to the time. This pandemic will be over. We'll be able to fill the pews up in our new church and the whole thing will be but a memory. And we're looking forward to that time. But it's wonderful that as I bring God's word today, yes, there are those in church, those in the prayer room, those at home. The congregation is still together serving him, worshipping him. We're one in spirit, and that's a tremendous thing. But whenever we choose deliberately to absent ourselves from worship, choose deliberately not to engage, choose on a point of principle, I'm not sharing with God's people, that's when we're on the wrong road, and that's when we're facing disaster. And this is what happened to Thomas here. He was not with them when Jesus came. And those words, not with them. It wasn't just that he was sick. It wasn't just that something had cropped up. It wasn't just that something out of his control had taken place. He was not with them. And that was the very reason why he was filled with such terrible negativity. He didn't derive the strength that he should have derived from being with the people of God. And because he wasn't with the people of God, when the Lord came, he missed out on the blessing. And the other disciples were glad when Jesus came, but he wasn't there, so he missed out on the blessing. And the real challenge there is, perhaps some night in the prayer meeting, revival will break out. God will come, and you'll not be there, and you'll miss the blessing. Perhaps the Lord will come at some of our times of public worship and one believer will miss out on the blessing. But you know, there is a blessing every time we come. It's just not about God coming in revival power and doing something amazing and spectacular. We are told that when the twos and the threes are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. When God's people assemble together, when God's word is brought, the Lord is there. And whenever a believer chooses to absent, they're missing out deliberately on the presence of God. And that is not helpful for our spiritual growth. And so it is so important that we are together, worshiping together, serving together, going forward together, being present together with God's people. For we're missing out on the blessing of the Lord. And Thomas, he missed out. But let's also think about his visitors. Because verse 25 says, The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. The disciples came to him. They 
encouraged him. And they thought about Thomas. Here we have received this wonderful blessing. The Lord has come into our lives and he's alive and Thomas hasn't been there to experience it. And you know, they didn't come to Thomas with a a voice of criticism. They came to Thomas with a voice of invitation. We have seen the Lord. And they were inviting him to be with them the next time they gathered so that he would receive what they had received. It hurt them. It grieved them. But one of their number had missed out. And it always hurts us and grieves us when God's people are absent. It hurts us and grieves us when God's people miss out on the blessing. When God's people fail the Lord. And the other disciples felt that. But yet they wanted to help Thomas to be a signpost pointing him in the right direction. Whenever someone comes to you as a signpost to point you in the right direction, always receive that with grace. It's always a difficult thing when somebody comes and says something that perhaps rubs us up the wrong way. But we should receive those words with grace. Those words come from the Lord. Somebody cares. And likewise, when someone slips or fails or falls, we should be there to point them in the right direction. But let's also look at his reaction because his reaction was not too encouraging. I wonder what the other disciples felt whenever they left Thomas's presence that day because notice what he said to them also in the verse 25, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, except I put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And there's something very, very... Solemn about what he says there. I will not believe. It'll not be enough for me to see what you have seen. It won't be enough for me to see the resurrected Christ. It won't be enough for me to hear the voice of the resurrected Christ. I want to put my fingers into those very nail prints. And unless that happens, I will not believe. Whatever you say, I will not believe. And here was a man who had walked with the Lord for three years. Here was a man who had served the Lord. Here was a man who had seen the Lord do some astonishing things. And yet, he was in the depths of depression. I think I could say that. There was a spiritual depression going on here in Thomas's life. He was in the depths of despondency. He said, I will not believe, except I can do this. Put my hand into that wounded side. I cannot believe. I will not believe. There was a stubbornness here too in Thomas's life. You see, personality traits dominate us. We all have different personality traits. And a personality trait can be our greatest friend in that it, it gives us the impetus to react in a certain way. But it can also be our greatest enemy. For example, Peter and Thomas were, were poles apart. You think of, of two men that, that were in the one, the church, Peter and Thomas. If we call the, 
the disciples of the Lord at church, and they were. They were a gathering of God's people, and they were poles apart. Peter was impetuous. Peter was rash. Peter was bold. And, and that boldness was a good thing at times. He would take a stand when perhaps no one else would take a stand. But it, it also meant that he could be very rash. And he could say things that, with greater thought, he, he wouldn't have said. So we're all a bit like that. Uh, a character trait that is our friend can become our enemy. All of our character traits, they need to be curbed and harnessed, and they must be under the control of the Spirit of God. And Thomas's character trait was cautiousness. Thomas was an exceptionally cautious individual. Thomas was opposite from Peter. He would have been the last one to speak. He would have been slow to react. And that's a very good thing. Caution is good. But whenever we are controlled with caution to the extent that we are filled with total pessimism all the time, that's a very bad thing. And that is what happened to Per Thomas. And we see this in the accounts of John. For example, come with me over to the Gospel of John, chapter 11. John chapter 11 and the verse 16 and the Lord had received word that uh, Lazarus was sick and he didn't go to help Lazarus and then after some time he said look we're going to go now and they were coming near Jerusalem coming near the place where all of the Lord's enemies were and Thomas he felt this was a very bad decision and therefore verse 16 of John 11 then said Thomas which is called Didymus unto his fellow disciples let us also go that we may die with him. Oh, he's, he's going to go near Jerusalem and he's going to die there. That's what's going to happen. And we just go and die with him. Now, I suppose there's something good to be said in that Thomas fully expected the Lord was going to go there to die and he was willing to die for the Lord. So we can see a good thing in that. But yet, Thomas didn't see the positive that the Lord was going. He, he could do something wonderful, something marvelous, say more great things. Well, Thomas couldn't see that. All he could see was the dark side. And we have another aspect of Thomas's personality in John chapter 14. And again, come over to John chapter 14. It is John, really, that seems to give us the greatest insight into the character and personality of Thomas. John chapter 14 and the verse 5. The Lord, there in John 14, he said, Let not your heart be troubled. You, you know the passage. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And then Thomas, he said in verse 5, Lord, we know not whether you, thou goest, and how can we know the way? Lord, how can we know the way to this place? You see, Thomas was thinking of material things as well. So as well as being a very cautious, a very timorous individual, a very pessimistic individual, he tended to see things in a very material, practical view all the time. And he couldn't see the fact that the Lord was creating this place in heaven where the souls of the departed would go. He was thinking of a physical place where he could go to be with the Lord. The Lord's going to build a, a great mansion somewhere for us, somewhere far away, away from this place, Jerusalem. And, and it, it was part of Thomas's character trait, and we can see these at work here in verse 25. He had to see the physical wounds and put his finger into the physical wounds. And... He would not believe unless that was the case. And so Thomas, 
was totally dominated by negativity. And that's how he reacted. And we always need to think about our character traits. We need to think about our personalities. And we need to think about the weaknesses, the flaws that are found in all of us. And they need to be curbed. They need to be put under the control of the Spirit of God. Lest they become a hindrance to us and a hindrance to others. Let's also think about his persuasion. And we are told in verse 26, After eight days again his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Now this is, this is better. Despite everything he has said, the disciples are gathered again and Thomas is now with them. He's now there. He has been persuaded. And that's a sign of grace. Whenever we are persuaded by others of like precious faith and we are willing to move in a different direction, that's grace. Thomas showed a spirit of grace here. When the Lord told the parable about the woman who had the barrel of meal and she put the leaven into the barrel of meal and eventually the leaven worked its way through the whole meal and the whole was leavened. And it was just a little piece of leaven. You know what it's like to make bread and you, you get just a small amount of yeast and that small amount of yeast, it makes an enormous difference. And it, it makes the flour valuable, it makes it useful. Bread is formed as a result of the leaven or as a result of the yeast. And so it is in all of our lives. The Lord, when he saves us, he, he puts grace into our humanity. And that grace works its way through all of our humanity. But it's slow. It takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. But grace is there. And grace triumphs. And grace works. And grace, it has its way. And this is what was happening in the life of Thomas. The Lord was really working. His Spirit was working in Thomas's life. And, and so the Spirit of God drew him to this place where he was with the disciples. When you feel and sense the Spirit of God moving you and drawing you, respond to that call. Don't turn away from that voice of the Spirit. And then we have his humbling. Because I don't know what Thomas expected whenever he was with them that day. Did he think that the disciples had just seen things? They were kind of hallucinating is that what he thought? Is that why he said, look, I want to put my finger into the print of the nails. I want to put my hand into his side because these men are hallucinating. They're imagining things. And, but if there's the print of the nails, well, that will not be an imagination. So is that what Thomas was expecting? And he was thinking to himself, I'm, I'm the one sane man here. I'm the one sane. I'm the one lucid man. I'm going to see things just as they are. But there he was. We're told in verse 26. Then came Jesus. The doors being shut. And the emphasis upon the doors being shut shows us that Jesus is moving now in a different way. He appears and he reappears at will. He doesn't have to walk through a walk, an open door. Of course, he, he never had to walk through a door at any time. But he chose to walk through doors. He, he chose in the days of his humiliation to do things as normal people did things. But once he rose again from the dead in this glorified humanity, he did things in a most spectacular way. So the door was shut, and suddenly the Lord appeared. 
and he said, Peace be unto you. And then he looked round. He looked round. And his eyes were fixed on Thomas. Do you see that? Then saith he to Thomas. You see, the Lord came on this specific occasion for one man. He came for Thomas. And yes, he was interested in the others. And there was a message for the others. But the message was for one man. His eyes were fixed on one man. Thomas. Christ came for him. Does the Lord have a word for you today, wherever you're at, whether here in the church, in the prayer room, out in the car park, at home, watching on the live stream? God has a word for you. He's talking to you. Talking to you about your commitment to the things of God. Talking to you about your response to the Spirit of God. Talking to you about your character traits and how they can so easily overwhelm you. Take a hold of you. Lead you in the wrong direction. Talking to you. It's a blessed thing when when God does talk to us. It's a blessed thing. But whenever the Lord talked to Thomas, he said, Look here. Here's my hands. And I just wonder what, what that felt like for Thomas. I can't begin to understand what that felt like. Because there was that wound in the hands. Look, Thomas, just, just put your finger on in there. Feel, feel around the wind. It's real. You know, the Lord didn't have to do that for Thomas. The Lord could have just struck Thomas off, raised up another apostle. But no, he, he wanted to come to Thomas in his need. He said, Here, here's my side. Here's the gash in my side. Look, put your hand into it. He showed him his wounds. Thomas realized what a foolish man he was. Thomas realized that he had chosen to refuse to believe in the power of Christ to be raised from the dead. He had chosen to, not to listen to his brothers and sisters, but to his brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and there was something else. Thomas was humbled when he saw the wounds. And I think that's the thing that really hit Thomas home more than anything else. It was the wounds. And surely if there's anything should move us to tears today, it is his wounds. If there's anything should rebuke us for our sinfulness and for our lack of faith and for our lack of obedience, it is his wounds. He died for me. Can we look upon his wounds today? The wounds of the resurrected Savior. You know, this tells us something so clearly that Christ, even today at the right hand of God, he carries those wounds we will never, ever be allowed to forget what it cost the Holy One to bear away our sin. Throughout eternity we'll sing, Worthy is the Lamb that is slain. It's a humbling thing. He did it for me. He did it for you. But then we come to this great confession. And Thomas really rises here. Because the Lord said to him, Be not faithless, but believing. Oh, Thomas, believe. I don't think Thomas ever put his finger into the print of the nails. I don't think he ever went that far. He didn't have to do it. He was humbled there and then. And he simply said, 
My Lord, my God. He acknowledged that Christ was his Lord and his God. You see, what is so exceptional about this confession of Thomas's is this. He saw that Jesus Christ not only is the Son of God, but he is God the Son. He is deity. He is the one who lived before he was made a man in the womb of the Virgin Mary. He is the one who has lived from all eternity. He is the eternal Son of God. He's my Lord and he's my God. That's what's exceptional about Thomas's confession. Here is a man who came from a place where he refused to believe to a man who now saw that Christ was his God and that this Christ who is his God had died for him on Calvary's cross. You know, whenever we look through the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John has some great statements. Some of the, the greatest statements in the Bible are found in John's Gospel. But it has some great confessions of Christ. For example, John the Baptist said he is the Lamb of God. Andrew said, we have found the Christ, whenever he went to Peter. Nathaniel said, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. The woman at the well said to her friends in Sychar, is not this the Christ? And the people of Sychar, they said, he's the Savior of the world. The blind man whom the Lord had healed and made to see, when he was cast out of the synagogue, he came before the Lord and bent at knee. He said, Lord, I believe. Martha said, after her brother Lazarus had died, thou art the Christ, the Son of God. The people of Jerusalem said, as the Lord drew near, blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. Mary Magdalene, she simply said, my master. But it was Thomas who said, my Lord and my God. I wonder, is he your Lord today? Is he your God? As you look upon the wounds of one who died for you, is he your personal saviour? It's one thing to hear about Christ. It's one thing to know about Christ. But it's another thing to know that he is yours. Do you know him today? Perhaps the Lord has spoken to you. You don't know him. Others in your family, they know him. Others in your circle of friends, they know him, but you don't know him. He's not your Savior, and perhaps the Lord has fixed his eye upon you today. Do you see those wounds? Are you willing to say, you're my Lord and you're my God? But in closing, he received one final rebuke. Verse 29, Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas, you have believed because you have seen. And that's good. There was a commendation there. Others saw they didn't believe. But he said, blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Who are the people that would not see and would believe? That's us. That's, that's you and me. The Lord is talking here about all of the people, all of the, the thousands, the hundreds of thousands, the millions who would believe. Until the day that Christ would come back again, they would never see. We have never seen him. We have never seen the wounds. One day we'll see those wounds. His smile will be the first to welcome us. We'll know him by the print of the nails in his hands. One day we'll see him. But yet we believe today, even though we haven't seen him. And that's faith. For faith is the evidence of things hoped for. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things 
not seen. As we just come to a close, I want you just to note the last two words of John chapter 20. It's like a postscript almost on to these appearances of Christ that John has recorded. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Many other things are written which John didn't record. And if you look at John chapter 21, verse 25, he said, of all of the things that Christ had done, if everything he had said was written down, the world itself couldn't contain the books that should be written. What a, an amazing story the life of Christ was. There's so much of it we have no idea about. The Lord has only chosen to give us these facts. But these facts are given that we might believe and that we might have life through believing. You know, there's only life through believing. There's only life through believing. Don't hang on to doubts. Come and embrace the Lord Jesus Christ today and say, my Lord and my God. Let us bow for prayer. Our gracious Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the mercy with which you approached Thomas. You came to Thomas. You gave him that that very specific word that was tailor-made for him. And we pray you would take your word today and use it in every heart and in every life, that your grace would triumph in our lives, that we'd overcome the wickedness within and overcome the wickedness that is in the world, and we rejoice that the Spirit is within our hearts, and greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Help us to walk with you this day. Be with us as we return to God's house later. Father, I pray the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Ghost, our Comforter, would be our abiding portion now and evermore. Amen.